home. All right, everybody, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're having some difficulties here, but I, I see that we're on the air, and that is great. That is wonderful. So let me go ahead on and do this, and we will be right back. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Free. 
Sorry about that. Anyway, welcome to the George Waldo Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It's another beautiful day for the start of the week. It is, it is so enough, so, so enough gorgeous. It's not muggy. It's not humid. It's not nasty heat. It's just perfect, perfect. And wherever you are in the world, I hope it's perfect for you also. Anyway, uh, what's going on in the world today that these people can fuck up? Okay. All right, House Republicans push to vote on Violence Against Women's Act. Do you think it's going to pass? They, I don't know. I really can't say. They're up against uh, – the Republicans are up against the midterms. They might pass this thing. But in my estimation, it should have been passed a long time ago. But they're doing a lot of things now because they're afraid that they're going to get blown the, the hell out of Congress. It doesn't matter what they do now. It's too damn late. They're going to get blown out of Congress. Okay, Trump is set to weaken the methane air pollution rule. This is all Trump is about. This is all his cabinet is about. This is all this is what everybody around him is about, is weakening protections for the American people, the American public, weakening all kinds of protections, EPA, you name it. If it's protecting us against something, he's going to weaken it. Destroy, (laughs) he's going to weaken it or eliminate it. All because he's a mean, evil, and nasty, unfit, unhinged son of a bee in the White House. He should not be in the White House. Um, I think that Congress should come up, uh, the next president, the next Democratic president, or the next president with some intelligence i think they should probably come up with something like you cannot be a public official and that's including president uh if you're lying not fulfilling your oath of duty cozying up to the enemy not producing not and not producing excuse me producing your taxes these should be and more these should be elements for becoming a uh politician in america if you get caught lying to the American people, you should be impeached immediately. That should be entrenched into the Constitution. Not fulfilling your oath of duty. That means taking an oath to protect America, uh, to serve the public, to serve the people that you, you – that ele- the people who have elected you, excuse me, the people who have elected you. Uh, and you should – it should be a requirement or a prerequisite to produce your taxes, okay, in order for you to be president or any uh, public official of any kind. This should be – Democrats should do this. As soon as they take power, start making some damn changes now, you know, because, you know, Donald Trump has opened our eyes up to a lot of bullshit that should be changed. There's no way – and another thing I believe that should be changed, this notion – that a sitting president cannot be indicted. That should be changed. Uh, That's some sort of a Department of uh, Justice guideline that a sitting president cannot be indicted. That should be changed. I don't know if that's bullshit or just something they they made up or has been there forever. I don't know. But uh, Donald Trump is not above the law. He should be able to be indicted, period. So if that's on the books, Democrats need to change that. If that's on the books in the Justice Department, in that agency, uh, 
it should be modified or changed or eliminated altogether. That's crazy. This guy would have been indicted uh, months ago, weeks ago, or, or, or who knows, a year ago. But he's being protected by his Republicans, period. And he's been being protected by this uh, clause or uh, guideline that the, that is a part of the Justice Department that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Bullshit. Change it. Change it. So these are some of the some of the criteria I think that it should take. You should have to uh, uh, go through in order to be a politician in America. If you get caught lying to the public, your ass is out. You get caught not fulfilling and duty that you uh, promised the American people or you promised your constituency, those folks who voted for you, then you should get out. If you get caught cozying up to the enemy, treason, you should get the – that should be a criteria for you being voted out. Uh, losing your job, period, right there on the spot, not waiting until your term is over, but but um, right there on the spot. And another criteria for being an elected official in America, you will have to show your taxes to show us that you're not a criminal or that you're not siding with the enemy or, or, or whatever. They already they already got this a monument clause, and Donald Trump is being sued by uh, uh, for making money uh, while in office, using a White House as a piggy bank, as his piggy bank. So I think those are some of the things that uh, Democrats should look at once they take over, changing a lot of this stuff. You got too many crooked uh, Republicans. You got too many Republicans who. Who will lie as you look at them? Lie like dogs. I mean, maybe that's <laughs> a little too direct to say dogs, but they lie. I mean, they lie as you look at them uh, because you know this is what they are. And and I feel that uh, uh, so many people are asking, even Republicans are asking, what ha- what has happened to the party? The party has went rogue. There's no checks and balances on this uh, president, and people have been talking about checks and balances on Donald Trump for a long time, and the Republicans refuse to do any kind of checks and balances on the president. Why? Because Donald Trump is making them rich, and he came out and said it. He said, if you impeach me, you're going to get poor. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to those who are already poor. He's not talking to the uh, the working public. He's talking to he's talking to Congress. That's who he's talking to. He said, uh, "Mitch McConnell, if you impeach me, you're going to get poor. Paul Ryan, if you impeach me, you're going to get poor. The Republicans in Congress, my white brothers and sisters, if you impeach me, uh, you're going to get poor. That's who Donald Trump is talking to. He's not talking to you or me." He's not talking to working people. He's not talking to poor people. He's not talking to the homeless. He's talking to the people who he can give give tax breaks to. And they're listening. They're listening. They're not listening to me. They're not listening to you. They're not listening to the folks who put their asses in office. They're listening to a mindless, thuggish, criminal, 
lying asshole, traitorous, imbecile at that. This is, this is who they're listening to. They don't care about what we think. You can call your congressman. You can call your congresswoman. You can email them. You can protest their offices. They're still going to stick by Donald Trump. They will not even take your calls. They will not even look at your emails. They will have some aid doing it. The Republicans have really, really fell out of grace with America as a whole. They have. They truly have. And the cynical thing about it is that they don't give a fuck. They, pardon my language, but it's true. Republicans just don't give a good damn. But they do care about being wiped out in the midterm. But they're doing nothing whatsoever to try to prevent that from happening. If anything, they're making it a lot worse. I mean, they're double, double downing on, on the trashiness of their party and, them, and themselves individually. So... You know, so th- this is got to be something. America has never been through anything like this. So many people are saying this is worse than Watergate, and it is worse than Watergate. This is Watergate times 10 or Watergate times 15. This is so much worse than Watergate. We just can't seem to get this guy out of the office immediately. There's people all over the world saying, come on, Mueller, Mueller, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Get, get this investigation done so we can get this guy out of office, so we can begin to repair America, so we can begin to start a new, uh, start a new beginning in this country. And I'm saying the same thing. Bob Mueller, man, you got to, you got to speed it up because this guy is destroying the country little by little uh, because he knows he's going down. So he's taking the country down with him. And the Republicans in office are letting him do it. They're letting him dismantle everything in the, in the city. I mean, in America. And they are. Because a lot of them, a lot of them will complain, well, we're not going to uh, impeach Donald Trump. We're going to wait until Bob Mueller gets done with his investigation. The Democrats are saying that, too. But this guy it has done so much. I mean, we don't know when Mueller's going to get done. We don't know if he's going to bring an indictment or a or arrest or anything of Donald Trump before the midterms. We know something is going to come after the midterms. Because as last week on the show, um, if you bring something up right now before the midterms, a month or two in before the midterms, and this has a scathing effect on the White House, a lot of people are going to jump up and say, hey, and, and criticize the timing of this coming out. So I'm pretty sure that Mueller and these five or six other investigations that that are uh, ho- hovering over Donald Trump will probably be after the midterms. I'm hoping I would love for it to be before, you know, but it's so close to the midterms. They might wait until uh, it, it's all over the midterms all over. And then they're going to come out with every every indictment, <laughs> every lawsuit. Now, now his. Kids, his two kids, uh, um, I don't know their names. I really don't. Uh, Ivanka, Donald Trump Jr., and Eric. Now they can be indicted at any point, at any time for uh, for um, 
their charity uh, violations of their charity. So, you know, they can, they're, they're not the president of the United States. It's just uh, uh, their father is. Well, you know, well, he's playing president. Let's put it that way, because he's not president. He doesn't, he doesn't understand. Donald Trump does not understand America. He doesn't understand the people. He doesn't understand the functionings of America. He doesn't understand America at all. The only thing he understands is somebody somewhere telling him what he's in control of, what he has power over. Then Donald Trump goes there and he finds ways to weaken it, to to weaken the protections of the American people. And uh, that's all he's doing here because he's set to weaken the methane air pollution rule. And why would you want to do that? You're going to cause people to get sick and die. But that's his that's what Donald Trump wants, because why do why does Donald Trump want that? Because he knows that over half of over way over half of Americans can't stand him and they want him out of office. They want him impeached. So he's going to try and fight back against us. The biggest. The biggest threat against America. Is its president. Donald Trump. The biggest threat against America, the enemy to the people of America is its president. And that's no lie, folks. Donald Trump is after us because we don't like him, because we criticize him. And he's trying to find a way to get back. And, uh, you know, and he knows he knows he's going down. He knows this shit is coming. He, 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 Donald Trump actually knows that this stuff is going to come before we even know it, before it even hits the news, before it even gets out there. He knows it's coming because he's been told. He's been briefed. You know, he's been told to brace himself. This, this kind of stuff is going to be coming out on you pretty soon. So he's bracing himself. He knows he has six or seven or maybe more lawsuits uh, against him. And he knows they're going to come as soon as he resigns or get impeached or as soon after the midterms. He knows it. He knows it. All right. Uh, there is something here saying that um, the White House blasts reckless Woodward doesn't rule out the possibility of a lawsuit. Donald Trump is talking about Bob Woodward's book. We all, re- we all know who Bob Woodward is. I mean, I've had several of his books. I mean, uh, uh, a few few years ago, I, I I had all of his books. They big old thick books. You know, I've talked about this before. Uh, they're good. They're good books. Uh, you know, Bob Woodwork and Carl Bernstein. They were the arch- architects of bringing down Nixon back in seventy three, seventy four, something like that. Uh, now they're on Donald Trump's ass. Yeah, and uh, there's a book. Uh, on uh, Trump called Fear. You, you've probably heard of it. Fear, and it's written by Bob Woodward. It's Bud Woodward. It is his 19th book. Wow, 19. The guy's been busy. <laughs> 19th book. And uh, his books are always filled with um, footnotes and all this kind of thing, uh, a glossary in the back or, or whatever you call it now. Bob, whenever he does a book, he, he's going to keep proof of what he's saying, evidence to back up whatever in the book. He's going to have notes. He's going to have tapes. 
I mean, he's he's going to have phone calls uh, uh, presented that he's made to get some of the information on the book. He's not just going to willy-nilly write a book. The thing is that Trump is so pissed off that the book is so unflattering to him, even though it's the truth, but it's unflattering. It's making him look bad, so he can't stand Woodwork now. A few, few weeks ago, he was praising Woodwork, but now he can't stand it. Stand it because anytime somebody says something nasty or, or criticizes him, even if it's warranted, Donald Trump is pissed off. He's angry. This, this is why he has a war with us, the people of the United States, because, you know, we don't like him. He doesn't he he wants to get rid of Facebook because he knows Facebook is liberal. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and it's it's unkind <laughs> to Donald Trump. It is totally unkind to Donald Trump. Facebook is. And it, and it should be because this guy is just a awful, awful person, not just an awful president, but he's an awful individual, period. And he's saying that uh, Woodwork book is reckless, reckless. He's not saying what what's in it is not true. He's just saying reckless. Donald Trump, I think he said in a tweet that he was going to write his own book. I think Donald Trump can read and write a little bit, um, but I don't think he can do it uh, at the level where Bob Woodward has done it. I don't think Trump ever wrote a book in his life. He might have uh, had a, a ghostwriter or or someone he was uh, sitting with him and he was telling his life story to, but I don't think he's ever actually sat down at a word processor or a typewriter. And start typing out his life, his, his uh, autobiography, you know, or memoir. Anyway, Donald Trump, uh, he says he's going to sue Woodward or try to. Donald Trump doesn't sue anybody. He'll always say he's going to sue somebody. If you know Donald Trump, then you know Donald Trump has been saying for years that he was going to sue this person or sue that person for this or that. And a suit never, ever come to life. One of the reasons I'm told that the suits that Donald Trump uh, uh, always saying he's going to uh, sue someone is because in these lawsuits, the, in the court, so much will come out about him. I mean, he may even have to produce his, produce his taxes in one of these suits if he decides to go on with it. Donald Trump is not going to sue anybody because too much will come out about him that he doesn't want us to know. So he'll threaten to sue you. He'll threaten to, to do this or that to you. But he's really not going to do anything. If he gets his ass in that courtroom or whether he is in a courtroom or his lawyers are, uh, the judge is going to want to go through this or that. And it's going to you know, leak out to the public. It. It, in other words, uh, Donald Trump suing someone will, will expose too much of him. And his lawyers probably have told him that. It would expose too much of him. He would probably have to release a lot of stuff that uh, he wouldn't want to release or say a lot of things that he shouldn't say. So this is one of the reasons why I think Donald Trump will not sue anybody. But he will threaten to sue you. Donald Trump is a bully. He likes to scare you. 
And this is a bullying tactic towards uh, Bob Woodward. This is just a bullying tactic that he's going to sue. You know, um, Bob Woodward has, has done a splendid job, and I can't wait to read his book as soon as it comes out. I can't wait to read his book. There's been so many. I mean, remember when Fire and Fury came out? <laughs> he threatened to sue that author. And Amorosa, she had a book come out. He called her a dog. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump is just unfit to be in office. He's unfit to be president. He just is. He just is. Okay, the White House blasts reckless Woodward. Doesn't rule the possibility of a lawsuit. This is what this is saying. The White House on Monday labeled Bob Woodward reckless his book. Uh, His book is not named reckless. It's it's fear. But the White House saying that he was reckless and careless. Okay, after some, some administration officials refuted claims attributed in the to them in the book okay a lot of people saying they're uh, uh, in the book from what i understand uh uh woodwork is saying uh, woodward is saying a lot of things that the staff of the white house told them so he writes it in the book but then once the book once the book is published they all deny john kelly denied calling <laughs> donald trump an idiot or a moron why would you deny that because that's, I, mean, I think Donald Trump is beyond idiot or moron, I, you know. And Sarah Ann Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I'm sorry. She is uh, out there lying. Uh, Kellyanne Conway is out there lying. A number of people have come out and said Woodward never, never even. Uh, wow, they are really blasting his book. A number of people are saying uh, Woodworth never reached out to them. So what they're saying in that book is not true. They're, they're lying. Bob says they're lying. I say they're lying. I say they're bending over backwards to kiss Trump's ass. And uh, they are. Because Woodworth is saying they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. They're lying. And we know they're lying. If, because if Trump was going to sue Bob Woodworth... He would have done it already. Bob Woodward, if they try to sue him, this guy's got too much proof, as I said. This guy's got too much proof. Uh, uh, Bob is saying, hey, wow, take me to court. Take me to court and watch me uh, uh, show all my evidence. We know that the White House is nothing but lies. We know that Donald Trump has told over 5,000 lies. We know that. The world knows it. America knows it. So anytime someone says that some, something is not true that's in a book that's by a uh, veteran author, a veteran journalist, newspaper man, bullshit. I'm with Bob Woodward. I think the book is great. I believe his book more than I do Omarosa's or maybe even Fire and Fury. Because as I said uh, last week on the show, there's tons and tons and tons of books out, out here. About Donald Trump. Not that's just uh, the three I just mentioned, but there's tons and tons of books about out here about Donald Trump, his administration, and just about Donald Trump in general. And there, and uh, most of them, if any of them, they're not flattering towards him. I'm coming out with a book. I'm doing a book on Donald Trump. I, I haven't re, uh, interviewed anybody for it. 
but it's going to be factual. Nothing that I'm uh, going to write in it is going to be untrue. There's tons of books out here. Donald Trump actually wants to, at one point in time, Donald Trump tried to stop Fire and Fury from being released. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're a public figure. There's the First and Second Amendments. You can't do that of the Constitution. Donald Trump is all right with the Constitution if it's uh, if it's going to work for him. But if it's going to work for you, he's not for it. <laughs> That's the way these Republicans are. What's good for them is bad for you. You know, so. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We've been talking about Woodward's book, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be talked about for uh, a, a, a while now. Uh, more explosive book than ever, and a lot of people I know on Facebook and, and uh, elsewhere, they say they're going to buy the book. I'm going to get the book. It's going to be a national seller. Any time that Trump comes out and blasts uh, a veteran journalist like Bob Woodward saying that he's lying in his book, and we know he's not lying, there's too many indications. There's too much uh, going on in the White House, and there's been too many leaks. There's been too many uh, things that are factual about Donald Trump and his White House, how chaotic it is, and what an asshole he is running around screaming and yelling and, and people trying to keep him on track. I believe it all because that's what he shows out here in the public. If you watch one of Donald Trump's rallies and you're looking at this guy, you say, what the hell? Is he on is he on drugs? He looks like he's on some some kind of drug. I'm not saying illegal drug, but some kind of drug that's keeping him keeping him standing, keeping him going. Maybe he's on uppers or downers or whatever. <clears throat> something that's keeping him energetic. Uh, he's on something. If you notice how he holds on to the podium all the time, <laughs> have you noticed that? I have noticed when seeing Donald Trump making an asshole out of, his, out of himself at a podium, thinking he making, he's making a speech. You ever notice how he just, his hands are always on the podium? You know, what, you know what he's doing? That podium is holding him up. Donald Trump has to have that podium to hold him up. Them hands on that podium... <laughs> And if you if you notice Donald Trump when he's sitting down at an interview, if you ever watch one of his, one of his interviews and he's sitting down, he looks as if he's sitting on the toilet, like he's sitting on the toilet. So um, Donald Trump is a joke. He can't last long, folks. I know a lot of people out there are saying, come on, Mueller, come on, Mueller, hurry up, Mueller. I'm saying the same thing. Donald Trump cannot last, even if he lasts after the midterms, even if he lasts, lasts until 2020, he cannot last. He, he's on a video right in front of me right now. I better click it off because I don't want to hear that crap. You know, he doesn't his speeches aren't newsworthy. His rallies are not newsworthy. Uh, so I don't waste my time. You know, I'll hear something about a, something he said at a rally here or there. But I, I don't really um, watch it. 
watch any of his rallies. I think they're a waste of time. Uh, Stormy Daniels argues Trump Cohen can't drop hush money deal after months of uh, trying to discredit her. I guess I guess that's what she's saying. Cohen, Michael Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer, as you probably know, uh, told Stormy Daniels that he wanted the hundred and thirty thousand dollars back. <laughs> wow, that's another that's another uh, something to talk about here, folks. Um, we'll be right back. Let's see if we can't. Uh, do some George I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told, so they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around... God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. Ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, what, are you kidding me? The Eleven Commandments? Get the fuck out of here. But ten... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. And to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath... Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. <laughs> Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, whoosh, you're down to seven. Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority. Just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parent's performance. Parent's performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. 
Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but, but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, Thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. <laughs> all right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> you want to get one too. <laughs> Coveting creates jobs. Leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now, the big honesty and fidelity commandment, and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder, the fifth commandment. But when you think about it, <laughs> when you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do... Yeah. Uh-huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take thou shalt not kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. <laughs> thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie, <laughs> and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone, unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. <laughs> two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the Invisible Man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place 
full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. Everybody. President Obama. It is good to be home. It's good to see corn, beans. I was trying to explain to somebody as we were flying in. That's corn. That's beans. They were very impressed at my agricultural knowledge. Uh, Please give it up for Amari, once again, for that outstanding introduction. I have, uh, I have a bunch of good friends here today, including uh, somebody who I served with, uh, who is one of the finest uh, senators in the country, and we're lucky to have him. Uh, your senator, Dick Durbin, is here. I also noticed, by the way, uh, former Governor Edgar here, who I haven't seen in a long time, and somehow he has not aged, and I have. <laughs> it is great to see you, Governor. I want to thank uh, President uh, Colleen and everybody at uh, the U of I system for making it possible for me to be here today, uh, and I am deeply honored uh, at uh, the o Paul Douglas Award that is being given to me. Uh, he is somebody who set the path for so much outstanding public service uh, here in Illinois. Now, I, I want to start by addressing the elephant in the room. I know people are still wondering why I didn't speak at the 2017 commencement. <laughs> the student body president sent a very thoughtful invitation. Students made a spiffy video, and when I declined, I hear there was speculation that I was boycotting campus until Antonio's Pizza reopened. <laughs> so I want to be clear. I did not take sides in that late-night food debate. <laughs> the truth is, after eight years in the White House, I needed to spend some time one-on-one -on -one with Michelle if I wanted to stay married. <laughs> and she says hello, by the way. Uh, I also wanted to spend some quality time with my daughters, who were suddenly young women on their way out the door. Uh, and I, I should add, by the way, now that I have a daughter in college, uh, I can tell all the students here, your parents suffer. <laughs> they cry privately. It is brutal, so please call. 
send a text. <laughs> we need to hear from you, just a little something. The truth was, I was also intent on following uh, a wise American tradition of ex-presidents gracefully exiting the political stage and making room for new voices and new ideas. And we have our first president, George Washington, uh, to thank for setting that example. After he led the colonies to victory as General Washington, there were no constraints on him, really. He was uh, practically a god to those who had followed him into battle. There was no constitution. There were no democratic norms that guided what he should or could do. And he could have made himself all-powerful. He could have made himself potentially president for life. And instead, he resigned as commander-in-chief and moved back to his country as state. And six years later, he was elected president. But after two terms, he resigned again and rode off into the sunset. And the point Washington made the point that is essential to American democracy is that in a government of and by and for the people, there should be no permanent ruling class. There are only citizens who, through their elected and temporary representatives, determine our course and determine our character. I'm here today because this is one of those pivotal moments when every one of us, as citizens of the United States, need to determine just who it is that we are, just what it is that we stand for. And as a fellow citizen, not as an ex-president, but as a fellow citizen, I'm here to deliver a simple message and that is that you need to vote because our democracy depends on it. Now, some of you may think I'm exaggerating when I say this November's elections are more important than any I can remember in my lifetime. And I know politicians say that all the time. I have been guilty of saying it a few times, particularly when I was on the ballot. <laughs> but just a glance at recent headlines should tell you that this moment really is different. The stakes really are higher. The consequences of any of us sitting on the sidelines are more dire. And it's not as if we haven't had big elections before or big choices to make in our history. The fact is, democracy has never been easy, and our founding fathers argued about everything. We waged a civil war. We overcame depression. We've lurched from eras of great progressive change to periods of retrenchment. 
still, most Americans alive today, certainly the students who are here, have operated under some common assumptions about who we are and what we stand for. Out of the turmoil of the Industrial Revolution and the Great Depression, America adapted a new economy, a 20th century economy, guiding our free market with regulations to protect health and safety and fair competition, empowering workers with union movements, investing in science and infrastructure and educational institutions like U of I, strengthening our system of primary and secondary education, and stitching together a social safety net. And all of this led to unrivaled prosperity and the rise of a broad and deep middle class in the sense that if you worked hard, you could climb the ladder of success. Now, not everyone was included in this prosperity. There was a lot more work to do. And so, in response to the stain of slavery and segregation and the reality of racial discrimination, the Civil Rights Movement not only opened new doors for African Americans, but also opened up the floodgates of opportunity for women and, and, and Americans with disabilities and LGBT Americans, others to make their own claims to full and equal citizenship. And although discrimination remained a pernicious force in our society and continues to this day, and although there are controversies about how to best ensure genuine equality of opportunity. There's been at least rough agreement among the overwhelming majority of Americans that our country is strongest when everybody's treated fairly, when people are judged on the merits and the content of their character and not the color of their skin or the way in which they worship God, or their last names. And that consensus then extended beyond our borders. And from the wreckage of World War II, we built a post-war web, architecture, system of alliances and institutions to underwrite freedom and oppose Soviet totalitarianism and to help poor countries develop. And American leadership across the globe wasn't perfect. We made mistakes. At times, we lost sight of our ideals. We had fierce arguments about Vietnam, and we had fierce arguments about Iraq. But thanks to our leadership, a bipartisan leadership, and the efforts of diplomats and Peace Corps volunteers, and most of all, thanks to the constant sacrifices of our men and women in uniform, we not only reduced the prospects of war between the world's great powers, we not only won the Cold War, we helped spread a commitment to certain values and principles, like the rule of law and human rights and democracy 
and the notion of the inherent dignity and worth of every individual. And even those countries that didn't abide by those principles were still subject to, to shame and, and still had to at least give lip service to the idea. And that provided a lever to continually improve the prospects for people around the world. That's the story of America. A story of progress. Fitful progress, incomplete progress, but progress. And that progress wasn't achieved by just a handful of famous leaders making speeches. It was won because of countless quiet acts of heroism and dedication by citizens, by ordinary people, many of them not much older than you. It was won because rather than be bystanders to history, ordinary people fought and marched and mobilized and built and, yes, voted to make history. Of course, there's always been another darker aspect to America's story. Progress doesn't just move in a straight line. There's a reason why progress hasn't been easy and why throughout our history, every two steps forward seems to sometimes produce one step back. Each time we painstakingly pull ourselves closer to our founding ideals, that all of us are created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, the ideals that say every child should have opportunity and every man and woman in this country who's willing to work hard should be able to find a job and support a family and pursue their small piece of the American dream. Our ideals that say we have a collective responsibility to care for the sick and the infirm. And we have a responsibility to conserve the amazing bounty, the natural resources of this country and of this planet for future generations. Each time we've gotten closer to those ideals, somebody somewhere has pushed back. The status quo pushes back. Sometimes the backlash comes from people who are genuinely, if wrongly, fearful of change. More often it's manufactured by the powerful and the privileged who want to keep us divided and keep us angry and keep us cynical because that helps them maintain the status quo and keep their power and keep their privilege. And you happen to be coming of age during one of those moments. It did not start with Donald Trump. He is a symptom, not the cause.
He's just capitalizing on resentments that politicians have been fanning for years. A fear and anger that's rooted in our past, but it's also born out of the enormous upheavals that have taken place in your brief lifetimes. And by the way, it is brief. I, when I heard Amari was 11 when I got elected, <laughs> and now he's like started a company. <laughs> that was yesterday. <laughs> but think about it. Yeah, you've come of age in a smaller, more connected world where demographic shifts and the winds of change have scrambled not only traditional economic arrangements, but our social arrangements and our religious commitments and our civic institutions. Most of you don't remember a time before 9-11 when you didn't have to take off your shoes at an airport. Most of you don't remember a time when America wasn't at war or when money and images and information could travel instantly around the globe or when the climate wasn't changing faster than our efforts to address it. And this change has happened fast, faster than any time in human history. And it created a new economy that has unleashed incredible prosperity. But it's also upended people's lives in profound ways. For those with unique skills or access to technology and capital, a global market has meant unprecedented wealth. For those not so lucky, for the factory worker or the office worker or even middle managers, those same forces may have wiped out your job or at least put you in no position to ask for a raise. And as wages slowed and inequality accelerated, those at the top of the economic pyramid have been able to influence government to skew things even more in their direction, cutting taxes on the wealthiest Americans, unwinding regulations and weakening worker protections, shrinking the safety net. So you have come of age during a time of growing inequality, a fracturing of economic opportunity. And that growing economic divide compounded other divisions in our country, regional, racial, religious, cultural. It made it harder to build consensus on issues. It made politicians less willing to compromise, which increased gridlock, which made people even more cynical about politics. And then the reckless behavior of financial elites triggered a massive financial crisis. Ten years ago this week, a crisis that resulted in the worst recession in any of our lifetimes, and caused years of hardship for the American people. 
for many of your parents, for many of your families. Most of you weren't old enough to, to fully focus on what was going on at the time. But when I came into office in 2009, we were losing 800,000 jobs a month. 800,000. Millions of people were losing their homes. Many were worried we were entering into a second Great Depression. So we worked hard to end that crisis, but also to break some of these longer-term trends. And the actions we took during that crisis returned the economy to healthy growth and initiated the longest streak of job creation on record. And we covered another 20 million Americans with health insurance, and we cut our deficits by more than half, partly by making sure that people like me, who've been given such amazing opportunities by this country, pay our fair share of taxes to help folks coming up behind me. And by the time I left office, household income was near its all-time high, and the uninsured rate had hit an all-time low, and wages were rising, and poverty rates were falling. Uh, I mention all this just so when you hear how great the economy is doing right now, let's just remember uh, when this recovery started. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's continued, but when you hear about this economic miracle that's been going on, when the job numbers come out, monthly job numbers, and suddenly Republicans are saying it's a miracle, I have to kind of remind them, actually, those job numbers are the same as they were in 2015 and 2016. And Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so we made progress, but, and this is the truth, my administration couldn't reverse 40-year trends in only eight years, especially once Republicans took over the House of Representatives in 2010 and decided to block everything we did even things they used to support. So we pulled the economy out of crisis, but to this day, too many people who once felt solidly middle class still feel very real and very personal economic insecurity. Even though we took out bin Laden and wound down the wars in Iraq and our combat role in Afghanistan and got Iran to halt its nuclear program. The world's still full of threats and disorder that come streaming through people's televisions every single day. And these challenges get people worried and it frays our civic trust. And it makes a lot of people feel like the fix is in, and the game is rigged, and nobody's looking out for them, especially those communities outside 
our big urban centers. And even though your generation is the most diverse in history, with a, a greater acceptance and celebration of our differences than ever before, those are the kinds of conditions that are ripe for exploitation by politicians who have no compunction and no shame about tapping into America's dark history of racial and ethnic and religious division. Appealing to tribe, appealing to fear, pitting one group against another, telling people that order and security will be restored if it weren't for those who don't look like us or don't sound like us or don't pray like we do. That's an old playbook. It's as old as time. And in a healthy democracy, it doesn't work. Our antibodies kick in. And people of goodwill from across the political spectrum call out the bigots and the fear mongers and work to compromise and get things done and promote the better angels of our nature. But when there's a vacuum in our democracy, when we don't vote, when we take our basic rights and freedoms for granted, when we turn away and stop paying attention and stop engaging and stop believing and look for the newest diversion, the, the electronic versions of bread and circuses, then other voices fill the void. A politics of fear and resentment and retrenchment takes hold and demagogues promise simple fixes to complex problems. No promise to fight for the little guy, even as they cater to the wealthiest and most powerful. No promise to clean up corruption and then plunder away. They start undermining norms that ensure accountability and try to change the rules to entrench their power further. And they appeal to racial nationalism that's barely veiled. It failed at all. Sound familiar? Now understand this is not just a matter of Democrats versus Republicans or liberals versus conservatives. At various times in our history, this kind of politics has infected both parties. Southern Democrats were the bigger defenders of slavery. It took a Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, to end it. Dixiecrats filibustered anti-lynching legislation, opposed the idea of expanding civil rights. And although it was a Democratic president and a majority Democrat Congress, spurred on by young marchers and protesters, they got the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act over the finish line. Those historic laws also got passed because of the leadership of Republicans like Illinois' own Everett Dirksen. 
So neither party has had a monopoly on wisdom. Neither party has been exclusively responsible for us going backwards instead of forwards. But I, but I have to say this, because sometimes we hear, oh, a plague on both your houses. Over the past few decades, it wasn't true when Jim Edgar was a governor here in Illinois, or Jim Thompson was governor. Got a lot of good Republican friends here in Illinois. But over the past few decades, the politics of division and resentment and paranoia has unfortunately found a home in the Republican Party. This Congress has championed the unwinding of campaign finance laws to give billionaires outside influence over our politics, systematically attacked voting rights to make it harder for young people and minorities and the poor to vote, handed out tax cuts without regard to deficits, slashed the safety net wherever it could, cast dozens of votes to take away health insurance from ordinary Americans, embraced wild conspiracy theories like those surrounding Benghazi or my birth certificate, <laughs> rejected science, rejected facts on things like climate change, embraced a rising absolutism from a willingness to default on America's debt by not paying our bills to a refusal to even meet, much less consider, a qualified nominee for the Supreme Court because he happened to be nominated by a Democratic president. None of this is conservative. I don't, I don't mean to pretend I... I, I'm channeling Abraham Lincoln now, but that's not what he had in mind, I think, when he helped form the Republican Party. It's not conservative. It sure isn't normal. It's radical. It's a vision that says the protection of our power and those who back us is all that matters, even when it hurts the country. It is refreshing to hear The vision that says none of them the few who can afford high-priced lobbyists and unlimited campaign contributions set the agenda. And over the past two years, this vision is now nearing its logical conclusion. So that with Republicans in control of Congress and the White House, without any checks or balances whatsoever, they've provided another $1.5 trillion in tax cuts to people like me who I promise don't need it <laughs> and don't even pretend to pay for them. It's supposed to be the party supposedly of fiscal conservatism. Suddenly deficits do not matter. Even though just two years ago when the deficit was lower they said, 
I couldn't afford to help working families or seniors on Medicare because the deficit was an existential crisis. What changed? What, what changed? They're subsidizing corporate polluters with taxpayer dollars, allowing dishonest lenders to take advantage of veterans and students and consumers again. They've made it so that the only nation on earth to pull out of the global climate agreement, it's not North Korea, it's not Syria, it's not Russia or Saudi Arabia, it's us, the only country. There are a lot of countries in the world. We're the only ones.
Barack Obama. I think that was pretty good, pretty deep, folks. Anyway, we're back. The George Washington Show is back. All righty. Hate lies have hate lies have no home here. Vote blue, everybody, and uh, and vote blue forever. We have to try and keep the Republicans out of the out of uh, Congress forever. These are just some bad people, man. <laughs> These are some bad hombres, if you can say. Be the best of whatever you do. Always try to be the best at whatever you do, folks. Uh, legally. <laughs> well, I'm a crook, George. You want me to be the best I can be? Uh, no. I'm talking about doing positive things, positive things in your life. Uh, be the best at what you can do. If you If you sweep floors, be the best at it. If you're mopping floors, be the best at it. If you're working for a corporation, be the best at it. You know, if you're working, if you're working in a restaurant making pizzas, be the best at it. You know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, be the best at whatever you like doing. And you'll never wind, end up out of a job. You'll never wind up out of a job. Because everybody's going to be wanting to uh, talk to you, interview you, especially if they have positions uh, to that effect open and you're good at what you do, you can easily land a job. If you're good at what you do, be the best at what you do. Turn that uh, hobby into a talent and go out there and do something uh, positive for the world. Okay? All right, George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air, making the world a better place. I've been saying that for the <laughs> for day one, actually, day one of this show. I've been saying making the world a better place. I, 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 got, I got that. I've got that slogan from somewhere. Just like I've got this slogan, be nice to one another out there, folks. Be nice. Be nice. Don't bitch. Don't argue. Don't shoot each other. Get along. Why can't we all get along? Yeah, uh, get along. Uh, the George Wilder Jr. show is just about off the air. It's been great. It's been wonderful, folks. I I've, I always have fun on the show. Always have fun. And uh, make sure you get out there and you vote. And drag everybody you know to the polls to vote. It, this is crucial. If we lose this, we lose America. That's what it's all about. If we lose this thing, we lose America. And it is, if you're saying, well, George trying to scare us. It is scary. It is totally scary. And it will be scary if you don't get out there and vote. I know some people, well, I'm in a religion. I, my religion don't re- allow me to vote. But then that's a, re- <laughs> excuse me, that's a religion you should not be in. You should not be in a religion. Uh, no religion should control you. No religion should take over your life. No religion should tell you who to talk to. When to sit down, where to go, where not to go, what to do and what not to do. That's not a religion. That's a cult. That's a fucking cult. And it's a shame that there are so many people out here who let some of these cults control them. And then if you try to uh, talk talk them into not letting those th- kinds of things happen, you're a fool. You're the devil. You're going to go to hell. They're going to go to heaven, but you're going to hell. Uh, it's just, this is your country. This is America. Get out there and do what you got to do to keep your country. It's up to you to keep this country. I mean, you can say, uh, I have the, I'm in a religion. I mean, I don't do that. We don't do that. Then why are you here? If you're not taking advantage of some of the things that America offers, uh, for you and, 
safe, to keep yourself safe, safe to keep your family safe. Why are you here? If you don't want to vote, then you might as well just turn over your American card. You know, I mean, leave the country. You know, I'm going to be straight and forward. You have to get out here and vote or you're not an American or you, and you shouldn't be here because you're not taking a part in democracy. Democracy. I mean, all of these churches that you belong to, these cults, these ministers, these, these pastors and deacons and whatever you want to call them. Most of this stuff is just fraud. Most of them are just con men, <laughs> clowns, uh, jack leg preachers who are out there to control you and to take your money. That's all it's about, to take your money. I mean, you've heard about these 300, at least 300 Catholic priests, boys. I mean, if this is happening in places, you know it's happening in other places too, churches, other denominations. There's nothing wrong praying to your God or praying to your maker or, or whatever, but don't let yourself be controlled. You're an American. You were born here. Vote, 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 and vote blue. There was a time, <laughs> there was a time when I actually didn't tell people who to vote for, but sometimes it, it seems warranted now. It seems warranted because some people don't know who to vote for. Some people are not following what's going on in America. They don't know about Donald Trump. And you got some people who are blindly following Donald Trump. They're just following Donald Trump because they didn't either like Obama or they just don't know what's going on. And they see Trump all over the fucking screen. And well, let's go, let's go with Donald Trump. Even though Donald Trump is going to take away their social security, he's going to take away their job, he's going to, he's going to make uh, it harder to breathe environmentally. And um, by upending protections, pollution and all this kind of stuff is going to get worse. I mean, you have to get out there and vote. I'm trying to convince you to vote. I know, I know a lot of people are saying, well, George, you're, you're wasting your time here. I'm a God-fearing person, and I, we don't vote. You know, I mean, just because you're God-fearing and just because you read the Bible every day doesn't mean – what did Jesus say in one of those passages? If you believe in this kind of thing, he said, pay your taxes, didn't he? He might as well say, go vote, go vote. Vote blue, everybody, and, and keep voting blue. We have to keep these Republicans out. If you love America, and if you're about America, then vote. If you're not, if you don't vote, then you're not American as far as I'm concerned. You're not American. You, you're not doing and, – and there is no fucking reason in the world that you can give for not voting. I mean, uh, last time I think we voted, we were coming out of the booth, and this young lady was walking past us on the street. And somebody yelled at her, did you vote? And she said, no, I did not vote, as if it's some kind of uh, big deal not to vote. As if it, as, as if she was proud of herself that she didn't vote. It, it was just awful, and you got a lot of people like that. You ask them did they vote? No, I didn't vote. Don't ask me to vote. I'm not voting. You got a lot of people out there like that, or used to be like that since they met <laughs> since we had 
Donald Trump. Since we've gotten Donald Trump, a lot of people are saying, well, we better vote. We better vote. Because a lot of these Republicans that are in office right now, especially some of these governorships around the country, a lot of these folks are in office because black people did not vote. Simple as that. You see what you get when you do not vote. All of these southern states, all of these southern states with all these white governors, and, you know, and the population is just uh, out of this world of African Americans. These folks are in office because you didn't vote. And now that they're in office, you're looking and you're seeing at how they're wrecking your state, tearing your state apart. Because you didn't vote. Just think, just think like this. Other people are going to suffer. Other people who have voted the right way are going to suffer because you voted the wrong way or you did not vote at all. And you have to remember this, too. When you don't vote, your vote is still being used. Your vote is still being used. And it's being used against you. When you don't vote, that's a vote for a Republican. When you don't vote, you're putting a Republican in office. Simple physics, simple mathematics, simple politics. Because if you don't vote, that's a revolt for a Republican. That's no doubt about that. You don't believe me, you can Google and look it up and talk about it all night long. Keep voting. Vote blue. And... uh, uh, keep voting and don't let your religion or whatever you th- stop you from voting. If, if, if some preacher or some minister or some deacon or pastor tells you not to get out there and vote, then quit that church or that cult. They have no, they, they have nothing on you. You can walk away. You can get out of there. You can quit. You can, you can leave that stuff behind that bullshit behind. Get out there and vote. Vote and keep voting. Drag uh, those to the polls who are not voting but eligible to be registered. Okay? This is crucial because if the Democrats don't take it, if we don't get it this time, it's over. It's over for all of us. You get Trump back in there or you get Mike Pence and and the Republicans still – seem to be controlling things, uh, they're still uh, controlling stuff, we're fucked. Is that. You have to get out here. And when we get out here to vote, make sure you send a message by voting uh, early. Uh, uh, send, it, send in your vote. I mean, you can vote online. You can do all of it. Vote. And your vote will be counted. In some In some areas of the country, they are going to be going with paper ballots because they know the Republicans aren't putting up any funding to protect our elections. So vote early. Uh, vote by ballot. Send in your vote or vote online, whatever. Vote in person, but vote. And if you know people who aren't registered, get them registered. If you know people who are dead fast and not voting, steadfast and not voting, try to convince them. Try to convince them. Well, I'm not voting because I ain't going to vote. But then you should get, then, <laughs> shit, then you should leave the country. Okay? 
but we don't want anybody leaving the country. We want, we, don't, we want all Americans here because we, we need you to be fighting for your country. Fight for your country. As a, I, and I've said this way before Obama said it, way, way before I heard him say it anyway. There is no savior out here for you. There is no one who's going to lead you into the promised land. You want to be led into the promised land? Then vote. Lead yourself. Then vote. The promise, promised land will not be too far away. Get out there and vote. Because this affects everybody. If you don't get out there and vote and, and the wrong people get in office, we're screwed. America is screwed. Forget your religion for now. You know, I mean, all religions in every religion do not say that you cannot vote. Majority of this crap is just trying to scare you, control you, take your money, manipulate you, make you look like an idiot. Get out of these cults. I'm not saying don't go to church. Do not go to church. You know, but a lot of these churches are just rigs. They're just rigged for scams. They're out to uh, manipulate the stupid and the dumb. That's what they're out there for. Jack leg preachers, jack leg ministers, all of these folks carrying around a Bible are scamming you. Take your life back. A lot of these people are leaving these cult-like religions, just leaving them, just up and leaving them. You can too. You don't have to be – I mean, this is your life. Why would you want to be used? Why would you want to be controlled? Why would you want – to do what some group of people tell you to do or somebody tell you to do because they are an elder or whatever the hell that is. Vote. I don't care. If you want to be a part of a cult and vote, hey, fine with me. But get out there and vote. Get out there and do your duty. You're an American. Act like one. Fight for your country. Vote.
Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 